Cracker Jacks proudly presents our first band, The Odyssey, starring Odysseus. This episode is sponsored by Nobody. The Odyssey is a sister poem. Man, that's loud. Hang on. The Odyssey is a... Is that better? Quick background. The Odyssey is a sister poem of the Iliad, written by a blind poet, Homer, around 800 B.C. Historians debate if the Iliad and the Odyssey are a myth or an actual event, the Trojan War, but it has survived thousands of years and was passed on through generations of oratory performances. These poems were such a big deal, Alexander the Great even had a copy of it in his pocket during his campaign. Both poems are based around the Trojan War. So for those who haven't heard, I'll do a half-assed job explaining the start of the 10-year Trojan War in less than one minute, based upon what Homer said in the Iliad. Once upon a time, there was a god named Zeus, and there was a party, and there was three pissed-off goddesses and a golden apple, and a Trojan dude named Paris. Zeus asked Paris to choose who would get the apple out of the three, And Paris chose Aphrodite because she said he could have the fairest in the land, who actually happened to be Helen of Sparta, who was King Melanitis' wife. Yikes. So Helen, spent my Paris, thanks to the goddess Aphrodite's spell, headed to Troy, leaving Sparta. The Spartan king in Achaean wasn't thrilled his wife left with the Trojans, so him and his brother... King Megamon, who was the king of Mycenae, got his Achaean buddies together to sail to Troy and plunder, get Helen back, and come back with Trojan riches, hence the premise of the Trojan War. Hopefully that was about a minute. I did zero justice to this myth, so I hope uh, you research it on your own and um, uh, actually read the poem. It's pretty stunning that it could last that long, let alone uh, if it changed uh, throughout the generations, which I'm assuming it did. However, the meat of it is still uh, incredible. Anywho, um, Banff, as you know, is a book and my friend, so my friend Kurt, I hope you have a kick out of our conversation as we pretend to understand what Homer was writing about or talking about. Thank you. The Odyssey is the story of Odysseus's 10-year journey home from uh, the island of Troy to uh, back home to the island of Ithaca. From the first 10, uh, 10-year journey started and uh, trying to get home, it normally would have taken just a few, three or four weeks apparently. Took him 10 years as he got sidetracked by all sorts of trouble and uh, shenanigans. And, <laughs> And um, it's the story of 
his commitment to get home, his loyalty to his wife, Penelope, and son, Telemachus, and uh, what they were facing at the same time going on while he was away, not knowing if he was going to return and their return loyalty to him um, to keep the place safe and the, th- the throne empty until he returned. That's pretty much it, right? That's it. I could have done it in 25,000 lines down, maybe six or seven. But, and it wasn't, it wasn't written down. It was um, orally performed to audiences. Yeah, they also said that a lot of these these uh, epics or long poems were uh, set as musicals or for, you know, entertainment in the theaters, you know, the amphitheaters at the time. They were, you know, musicals. So that's where you wonder how concrete from day one of this blind poet to today, thousands of years later, how, how it's changed. And especially if it's performed orally, then somebody else picks it up, tweaks it a little bit. But like you say, the shenanigans that Odysseus went through to get home. So he went there originally, I believe uh, to sack and pillage Troy. And he was, why was he there though? He was pissed off yes. as a fighter. Yes. For he was buddies with Achilles. Yes. And you know the story about Achilles, right? The no, Achilles heel. It to us. So essentially his mom took Achilles as a baby mm-hmm. and dipped him into the water to keep him from dying or from I forget it's specifically, but essentially gave him, you know, godlike powers. But when she dipped him, she was holding him by the ankle or the heel. So his, his heel didn't go in. Correct. So when one of those pricks, Trojans, shot, it hit him right in the heel. And that's how he died. But you obviously with the famous Trojan horse, the Achaeans made this horse and they put dudes in the horse and they got through the gates of Troy. Well, that was uh, Odysseus that mm-hmm. figured that out. And so they were able to win the war after years of battling. So then everybody goes home. So from Troy, they were promised all this stuff and it never really came about. Um, and then the Odyssey uh, is the second or the sister poem, right, to the Iliad. And so he starts, he's, well, he starts his journey and the, the, the Odyssey starts the first, I don't know, five or six books, I believe were, uh, go to, um, his wife, Penelope, who'd been waiting for him for what well, the beginning of this for 10 years, and then it takes him an additional time to get home and their young son, Telemachus, um, to keep safe, you know, their little kingdom back in Ithaca and all the potential, uh, suitors coming to uh, Ithaca to, to win her over so they can not only get her, but then the kingdom, the kingdom. Yeah. And your young son, Telemachus trying to figure out how do I get, you know, how do I defend my mom in the kingdom while my dad's gone? And he's a young kid and he's unsure. And I'm going to play a clip right from the book. Ian McClellan's doing the reading. It's, it's pretty sweet here. Check this out. But the suitors broke into uproar through the shadowed halls all of them lifting prayers to lie beside her, share her bed, until discreet Telemachus took command. You suitors, 
who plague my mother, you, you insolent overweening. For this evening, let us dine and take our pleasure. No more shouting now. What a fine thing it is to listen to such a bard as we have here. The man sings like a god. But at first light, we all march forth to assemble it, take our seats, so I can give my orders and say to you straight out, you must leave my palace, see to your feasting elsewhere, devour your own possessions, house to house by turns. But if you decide the fair is better, richer here, destroying one man's goods and going scot-free, all right then, carve away. But I'll cry out to the everlasting gods, in hopes that Zeus will pay you back with a vengeance, all of you, destroyed in my house, while I go scot-free myself. So Telemachus declared, and they all bit their lips, amazed the prince could speak with so much daring. Eupithes' son, Antinous, broke their silence. Well, Telemachus, only the gods could teach you to sound so high and mighty, such brave talk. I pray that Zeus will never make you king of Ithaca, though your father's crown is no doubt yours by birth. But cool-headed Telemachus countered firmly, Antinous, even though my words may offend you, I'd be happy to take the crown if Zeus presents it. You think that nothing worse could befall a man? It's really not so bad to be a king. All at once your palace grows in wealth, your honours grow as well. But there are hosts of other Achaean princes. Look, young and old, crowds of them on our island here, and any one of the lot might hold the throne, now great Odysseus is dead. But I'll be lord of my own house and servants, all that King Odysseus won for me by force. And now Eurymachus, Polybus' son, stepped in. Surely this must lie in the gods' lap, Telemachus, which Achaean will lord it over sea-girt Ithaca. Do hold on to your own possessions, rule your house. And so then it goes, you know, that's how they, the setting of their both really, you know, on a journey, Penelope to defend uh, Ithaca and Odysseus uh, to try to get back home. And that's where that 10 years, it's interesting how the, the Trojan War lasted 10 years and then his journey home lasted yeah. 10 years. I wonder well, why that is. What is the significance of that, you yeah. know, and what, were they, what was the point they were trying to get, you know, drill in? Um, and that's where you think like with the islands, right? So what, what was specific about the Odyssey relative to the 10 years? Why was it, uh, multiple islands and not one island? And then he just goes over the rocks. Like, why was it the ocean? Is it because it was, you know, like you say, it, it, it could be a real story like the Trojan war where they're saying it was just a myth. And obviously archeologists are trying to know um, more about it. And they keep saying, well, it was here or there or whatever, but then does that, and that's where I was wondering, like, does that really matter? Right. If it was real or not, but well, whether it was real or not, obviously with, the, and then uh, what you define as real, because yeah. real, uh, just because it's tangible rocks and stuff versus the story. Right. And that's where you like can the think, Bible. Right. So you think, okay, does the story have to have tangible people in historical event or is the meat of the story really to send a message of loyalty of courage of temptation temptation and yeah. overcoming that right yeah no I, I i think the latter is correct is is probably more plausible and then it just shows how ingrained that whole you know that sea culture is with the greeks you know going back 
all the way back 3000 years up till today, all the different islands. It's still my daughter and, uh, and her mother are going to the Greek Isles in August. And oh, that's, that's a so huge cool. draw for, for people today. It's yeah. beautiful there. And that was, you know, um, the islands are probably really, really, they're really prideful of each individual Island. And so that's why it's, they go to different ones to show the splendor of each and the little kingdom of each. And some helped them out and were real hospitable and others were not at all. And so I think that's probably why they, you know, that goes way back to, they were Island hopping to finally get back to Ithaca. Um, and that, and that Island hopping was all the islands pretty much had a different vibe to them. Right. Sure. So whether it was the Lotus eaters or the Cyclops or there was, there were some islands where they welcomed Odysseus. Treat him like a hero. Treat him like a hero. Yeah. And that's and that's another interesting thing about this story was because of the multiple gods and their in their communication to each other, there was always some sort of reverence for the stranger. Right. So there's the belief um that the stranger could be a god to themselves. Mm -hmm. And so if you treat strangers poorly, um, then you're going to be cursed by the gods. So you better when a stranger comes. Mm -hmm. And so they, part of the story is he would just walk up to these Kings and, and stuff and they just treated him like a hero. And then he thought he had a little cachet and he went over to, let's say the Cyclops Island. And he started that and he says, Hey, you know, using Zeus, as, as his kind of like baseline to say, Hey, yeah. And he's this Cyclops goes and grabs a couple of his buddies and eats them. Yeah. So that's where you wonder what Homer in this poem was trying to communicate is like, Hey, you know, don't always assume that everyone's going to treat you um, when you're a stranger with, you know, giving you flowers and ships and, food and all this other stuff. Right. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Like some of the people that saw him were skeptical of, of his intentions too. Cause he was a little bit arrogant too. Um, at certain points of yeah. his journey. Yeah. That's, that's, um, yeah, it was a little too overconfident. So what's your favorite Island that he, um, he stopped at? Obviously you, you probably like the fact that he was in a utopia with the nymph. The nymphs is probably by far <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> well, apparently she had two kids with him. Yes, that's what, the, and I don't know where that comes in, or because he, it, at some point, did he intend just to stay there, or was he just oh, yeah. under a spell, yeah, I or I don't, I don't. Well, she was giving him a utopia, right? So that's where you wonder, like, of the temptation of utopia, mm -hmm. he basically like the ability for him to live with anything he wants, and she offered him immortality. And she says, you can stay here. You'll be immortal and stuff. But as Homer says, his loyalty was to Penelope and he would just sit on the shore weeping, even though he gave her a couple of kids, mm -hmm. he still wanted to go home. So it's just interesting that, I mean, to me it is that Homer would put this in there. Um, how tempted or how often did this happen with, you know, you know, the Greeks back then traveling either, you know, either for trade or for fishing or for whatever they were doing, going to different islands. How often were they tempted 
by, you know, the local groupies at the local saloon at East Harbor or East Port. Yeah, that's you know, a good Instead point. of just staying, hey, well, let's stay here and get drunk and hang out with the hookers. And um, instead of going home, you know, we'll just tell them our ship broke down or whatever. And we'll buy ourselves that a couple is, months. That's a, that's a great point. So did they think a lot? Was that something ingrained in him? Obviously, all of this stuff had to be going on, um, not just in one man's mind, Homer, but it was part of society back then. The, uh, yeah, that's a great point. As well as his Odysseus's ability to continue. Yes. So he didn't just give up and go back, uh, to the nymph and just say, you know, I, I, because right after he left that Island, when the gods gave him, so she basically said, you can leave now. And he couldn't believe it. I think Hermes came and yeah, Hermes the guide, the mighty giant killer, stood there spellbound. But once he'd had his fill of marveling at it all, he briskly entered the deep vaulted cavern. Calypso, lustrous goddess, knew him at once. As soon as she saw his features face to face, immortals are never strangers to each other, no matter how distant one may make her home. But as for great Odysseus, Hermes could not find him within the cave. Off he sat on a headland, weeping there as always, wrenching his heart with sobs and groans and anguish, gazing out over the barren sea through blinding tears. But Calypso, lustrous goddess, questioned Hermes, seating him on a glistening polished chair. God of the Golden Wand, why have you come? A beloved, honored friend, but it's been so long your visit's much too rare. Tell me what's on your mind. I'm eager to do it, whatever I can do. Whatever can be done. And the goddess drew a table up beside him, heaped with ambrosia, mixed him deep red nectar. Hermes, the guide and giant killer, ate and drank. Once he had dined and fortified himself with food, he launched right in, replying to her questions. As one god to another, you ask me why I've come. I'll tell you the whole story, mince no words, your wish is my command. It was Zeus who made me come, no choice of mine. Who would willingly roam across a salty waste so vast, so endless? Think, no city of men in sight, and not a soul to offer the gods a sacrifice and burn the fattest victims? But there is no way, you know, for another god to thwart the will of storming Zeus and make it come to nothing. Zeus claims you keep beside you a most unlucky man, most harried of all who fought for Priam's Troy nine years, sacking the city in the tenth and then set sail for home. But voyaging back they outraged Queen Athena, who loosed the gales and pounding seas against them. There all the rest of his loyal shipmates died. But the wind drove him on, the current bore him here. Now Zeus commands you to send him off with all good speed. It is not his fate to die here, far from his own people. Destiny still ordains that he shall see his loved ones, reach his high-roofed house, his native land at last. And so he gets out in the water, and then all of a sudden his little boat breaks or whatever. And so he's like freaking out, and another woman comes along and offers him some sort of scarf. But someone saw him. Cadmus's daughter with lovely ankles. I know. A mortal woman once with human voice and called Leucothea, now she lives in the sea's salt depths, esteemed by all the gods as she deserves. She pitied Odysseus, 
past, tormented so. She broke from the waves like a shearwater on the wing, lit on the wreck, and asked him kindly, Oh, poor man, why is the god of earthquakes so dead set against you, strewing your way with such a crop of troubles? But he can't destroy you, not for all his anger. Just do as I say, you seem no fool to me. Strip off those clothes and leave your craft for the winds to hurl, and swim for it now. You must strike out with your arms for landfall there. Phaeacian land where destined safety waits. Here, take this scarf. Tie it around your waist. It is immortal. Nothing to fear now, neither pain nor death. But once you grasp the mainland with your hands, untie it quickly, throw it into the wine-dark sea, far from the shore, but you, you, turn your head away. With that, the goddess handed him the scarf and slipped back in the heavy-breaking seas like a sheer water once again. And a dark, heaving billow closed above her. So that's where you think, how does Odysseus keep his momentum? And you can look throughout the story, and I believe there's a lot of feminine influence, not just his loyalty to Penelope, but the goddesses and the other women are encouraging him to keep going. So there, maybe there's this dynamic on the relationship between a man and a woman that, uh, back to Homer, is he knew that the woman was that direct influence to ensure that the man stays his course and is, and has that courage and has, um, and and is also corrected by his hubris, right? So mm-hmm. like we talk about when he went to the Cyclops Island, strangers. Thundered out. Now, who are you? Where did you sail from over the running sea lanes, out on a trading spree, or roving the waves like pirates, sea wolves raiding at will, who risk their lives to plunder other men? The hearts inside us shook, terrified by his rumbling voice and monstrous hulk. Nevertheless, I found the nerve to answer firmly Men of Achaea, we are, and bound now from Troy driven far off course by the warring winds over the vast gulf of the sea, battling home on a strange tack, a route that's off the map, and so we've come to you. So it must please King Zeus's plotting heart. We're glad to say we're men of Atreides Agamemnon, whose fame is the proudest thing on earth these days. So great a city he sacked, such multitudes he killed. But since we've chanced on you, we're at your knees in hopes of a warm welcome, even a guest gift, the sort that hosts give strangers. That's the custom. Respect the gods, my friend. We're suppliants at your mercy. Zeus of the strangers guards all guests and suppliants. Strangers are sacred. Zeus will avenge their rights. Stranger. He grumbled back from his brutal heart. You must be a fool, stranger, or come from nowhere, telling me to fear the gods or avoid their wrath. We Cyclops never blink at Zeus and Zeus's shield of storm and thunder or any other blessed god. We've got more force by far. I'd never spare you in fear of Zeus's hatred, you or your comrades here, unless I had the urge. He went in assuming that Zeus would protect him, and... The Cyclops basically said, you know, I'm going to kill you. 
So he ate a couple of his shipmates. And so he barely escaped by stabbing him in the eye. And he was essentially safe from that island of the Cyclops because he never um, told him his name. And then once he was out, thought he was free to sail, he yelled his name. Hey, make sure you tell everybody that it was Odysseus. Mm-hmm. No weak coward it was whose crew you bent to devour there in your vaulted cave, you with your brute force. Your filthy crimes came down on your own head, you shameless cannibal, daring to eat your guests in your own house. So Zeus and the other gods have paid you back. That made the rage of the monster boil over. Ripping off the peak of a towering crag, He heaved it so hard the boulder landed just in front of our dark prow, and a huge swell reared up as the rock went plunging under a tidal wave from the open sea. The sudden backwash drove us landward again, forcing us close inshore, but grabbing a long pole, I thrust us off and away, tossing my head for dear life, signalling crews to put their backs in the oars, escape grim death. They threw themselves in the labour, rowed on fast, but once we'd ploughed the breakers twice as far, again I began to taunt the cyclops, men around me trying to check me, calm me left and right. So headstrong, why? Why rile the beast again? That rock he flung in the sea just now, hurling our ship to shore once more, we thought we'd die on the spot. If he caught a sound from one of us, just a whisper, he would have crushed our heads and ship timbers with one heave of another flashing jagged rock. Good God, the brute can throw, so they begged but they could not bring my fighting spirit round. I called back with another burst of anger. Cyclops, if any man on the face of the earth should ask you, who blinded you, shamed you so, say Odysseus, raider of cities, he gouged out your eye, Laertes' son who makes his home in Ithaca. So I vaunted, and he groaned back in answer, Oh, no, no, that prophecy years ago. It all comes home to me with a vengeance now. We once had a prophet here, a great tall man, Telemus, Eurymasis's son, a master at reading signs who grew old in his trade among his fellow cyclops. All this he warned me would come to pass someday, that I'd be blinded here at the hands of one Odysseus but I always looked for a handsome giant man to cross my path, some fighter clad in power like armor plate, but now look what a dwarf, a spineless good-for-nothing stuns me with wine, then gouges out my eye. Come here, Odysseus, let me give you a guest gift, and urge Poseidon the earthquake god to speed you home. I am his son, and he claims to be my father true, and he himself will heal me if he pleases. No other blessed god, no man can do the work. Heal you? Here was my parting shot. Would to God I could strip you of life and breath, and ship you down to the house of death as surely as no one will ever heal your eye, not even your earthquake God himself. But at that he bellowed out to Lord Poseidon, thrusting his arms to the starry skies, and prayed, Hear me, Poseidon, God of the sea-blue main, who rocks the earth. If I really am your son, and you claim to be my father, come grant that Odysseus, raider of cities, Laertes' son who makes his home in Ithaca, never reach his home. Or if he's fated to see his people once again and reach his well-built house in his own native country, let him come home late 
and come a broken man, all shipmates lost, alone in a stranger's ship, and let him find a world of pain at home. So he prayed. And the god of the sea blew main Poseidon heard his prayer. The monster suddenly hoisted a boulder far larger, wheeled and heaved it, putting his weight behind it, massive strength, and the boulder crashed close, landing just in the wake of our dark stern, just failing to graze the rudder's bladed edge. What else did you like about that? I, I think the whole thing is interesting how the, um, the female influence through all of it, whether it's the god, the Athena, or um, whether it's the nymphs, the, you know, the... I think that played a huge part, starting with Helen of Troy back in the very beginning of the you know the war and the Iliad and all that carrying through. You know, there's there's really good forces, and and obviously Homer had a healthy respect, whether it was the women in his life, his mother, or people in the community, you know, um, and reverence for the female god goddesses, and also wary of what are the temptations along the way of that you know of the the, the sirens. We must steer clear of the sirens, their enchanting song, their meadow starred with flowers. I alone was to hear their voices, so she said, but you must bind me with tight chafing ropes so I cannot move a muscle bound to the spot, erect at the mast block, lashed by ropes to the mast. And if I plead, commanding you to set me free, then lash me faster, rope on pressing rope. So I informed my shipmates point by point. All the while our trim ship was speeding toward the siren's island, driven on by the brisk wind. But then the wind fell, in an instant, all glazed to a dead calm. A mysterious power hushed the heaving swells. The oarsmen leapt to their feet, struck the sails, stowed it deep in the hold, and sat to the oarlocks, thrashing with polished oars, frothing the water white. Now, with a sharp sword, I sliced an ample wheel of beeswax down into pieces, kneaded them in my two strong hands, and the wax soon grew soft, worked by my strength and Helios's burning rays, the sun at high noon, and I stopped the ears of my comrades one by one. They bound me hand and foot in the tight ship, erect at the mast block, lashed by ropes to the mast, and rowed and churned the white caps stroke on stroke. We were just offshore, as far as a man's shout can carry, scudding close, when the sirens sensed at once a ship was racing past and burst into their high, thrilling song. Come closer, famous Odysseus, Achaea's pride and glory. Moor your ship on our coast so you can hear our song. Never has any sailor passed our shores in his black craft until he has heard the honeyed voices pouring from our lips. And once he hears to his heart's content, sails on, a wiser man. We know all the pains that Achaeans and Trojans once endured, on the spreading plain of Troy when the gods willed it so, all that comes to pass on the fertile earth. We know it all. So they sent their ravishing voices out across the air, and the heart inside me throbbed to listen longer. I signalled the crew with frowns to set me free. They flung themselves at the oars and rowed on harder, Perimedes and Eurylochus springing up at once to bind me faster with rope on chafing rope. But once we left the sirens fading in our wake, once we could hear their song no more, their urgent call, 
My steadfast crew was quick to remove the wax I'd used to seal their ears and loose the bombs that lashed me. You know, there's 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 uh, both good and bad um, female influences there. And so I think he walked all the way through that. Um, and then it shows Penelope being loyal to him the whole time. And so that was the steadfast, you know, ideal of, you know, a woman waiting for her husband to come back from fighting war and trying to keep his place safe and try to raise a, a young son too, to do the same. So that was interesting to me. Um, had I thought about that before all the temptation that he f- faced was due to, you know, um, you know, female, you know, encouraging him to be infidelity. Yeah. And it's like, it was the, um, if, if, <laughs> if you were to say that Odysseus, it had the same tendencies in other words, as human nature relative to uh, thousands of years ago to your point earlier was the temptations and loyalty are almost in a fight all the time. Mm-hmm. And even, even his temptation, let's say on the Island uh, with a Cyclops wasn't necessarily a feminine temptation, but it was a temptation of his hubris. He wanted to show, but the issue with that was it, it showed how irrelevant that was for his pure journey to get home. Mm -hmm. So it, it's almost like he over, um, the temptation overcame his purpose to get home. The temptation of him to brag about his name. So Homer wanted to ensure that his listeners knew that when you want to make a name for yourself without the ideal motives, your motives are just to brag. This could happen. This, that Cyclops is going to throw a rock mm-hmm. and he's going to, he's going to put your boat back. And then it made it, Poseidon made his life hell. Yeah. And he took all his shipmates and essentially that's why he ended up on that Island alone with that nymph. But at the same time, Right. If Homer was to say, with all that carnage and all those trials, he still ended up somewhere that people would consider a utopia. Yeah. This beautiful goddess promising immortality on this island. And so why didn't he just say, well, this this is heaven. I don't want to go back to my wife and kid. I can be in this heaven utopia. But yet Homer said, no, no, no. He yearned, even though he was in this perfect situation, Homer wanted uh, people to hear that life isn't easy. You think you've got a straight path to the promised land or not to your promised land, but your dream of being reunited with your family. You're going to go through hell to get there. So did Odysseus learn from that suffering? Did he learn from those islands? Right. No, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, he left... Troy is a hero and a little bit of arrogance and there's temptation along the way. His arrogance got him into a little bit of trouble. Um, you know, when did he get some humility and, 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 you know, to endure, um, and just kind of aim at the target and head that way. Uh, cause he still had like, you know, even when he got back, he wasn't done yet. Cause then he had to figure out how to get rid of all the suitors that were still there and all that was involved in that. And I think it was interesting, like Homer was trying to get across that, you know, obviously certain 
islands were more hospitable than others, but, you know, he makes to, you know, uh, describe when he goes to the one island and they treat him like royalty when he tells them of all of his adventures and they're really awed by all that and stunned that this guy's on their island to the very end where he has to dress up like a beggar. The bright-eyed goddess Athena led the way. Royal son of Laertes, Odysseus, old campaigner, think how to lay your hands on all those brazen suitors lording it over your house now three whole years courting your noble wife, offering gifts to win her. But she, forever broken-hearted for your return, builds up each man's hopes, dangling promises, dropping hints to each, but all the while with something else in mind. God help me, the man of intrigue broke out. Clearly I might have died the same ignoble death as Agamemnon, bled white in my own house too, if you had never revealed this to me now, goddess, blow by blow. Come, weave us a scheme so I can pay them back. You stand beside me, fire me with daring, fierce as the day we ripped Troy's glittering crown of towers down. Stand by me, furious now as then, my bright-eyed one, and I would fight three hundred men, great goddess, with you to brace me, comrade-in-arms in battle. Grey eyes ablaze, the goddess urged him on. Surely I'll stand beside you, not forget you. Not when the day arrives for us to do our work. Those men who court your wife and waste your goods, I have a feeling some will splatter your ample floors with all their blood and brains. Up now, quickly. First, I will transform you. No one must know you. I will shrivel the supple skin on your lithe limbs, strip the russet curls from your head and deck you out in rags you'd hate to see some other mortal wear. I'll dim the fire in your eyes, so shining once until you seem appalling to all those suitors, even your wife and son you left behind at home. But you, you make your way to the swineherd first, in charge of your pigs, and true to you as always, loyal friend to your son, to Penelope so self-possessed. You'll find him posted beside his swine, grubbing round by Raven's Rock and the spring called Arethusa, rooting for feed that makes pigs sleek and fat, the nuts they love, the dark pools they drink. Wait there, sit with him, ask him all he knows. Um, you know, it was a nightmare even when he got to the shore, right? Like when he got to Ithaca, Athena was there and she helps him disguise. disguise him, yeah. And then he goes over and gets to the farmhand and the farmhand dude goes like, hey, I don't know who you are, but whatever. And then he finally reveals that he's Odysseus, but even the farmhand was like kind to him. Mm -hmm. Right. And then when they found uh, Telemachus and then he revealed himself to his son, right. Then, um, then basically he has this, uh, you know, they're going to get rid of the suitors. Right. But then Penelope, she didn't believe him. Like when, when Odysseus came back, Penelope was like, I don't believe it's you. He stepped from his bath, glistening like a god. And back he went to the seat that he had left, and facing his wife declared, Strange woman, so hard. The gods of Olympus made you harder than any other woman in the world. What other wife could have a spirit so unbending? holding back from her husband, home at last for her, after bearing twenty years of brutal struggle? 
Come, nurse, make me a bed. I'll sleep alone. She has a heart of iron in her breast. Strange man, wary Penelope said. I am not so proud, so scornful. Nor am I overwhelmed by your quick change. You look, how well I know, the way he looked, setting sail from Ithaca years ago aboard the long-oared ship. Come, you're a clier. Move the steady bedstead out of our bridal chamber, that room the master built with his own hands. Take it out now, sturdy bed that it is, and spread it deep with fleece, blankets and lustrous throws to keep him warm. Putting her husband to the proof. But Odysseus blazed up in fury, lashing out at his loyal wife. Woman, your words, they cut me to the core. Who could move my bed? Impossible task even for some skilled craftsman, unless a god came down in person, quick to lend a hand, lifted it out with ease and moved it elsewhere. Not a man on earth, not even at peak strength, would find it easy to prize it up and shift it. No, a great sign, a hallmark lies in its construction. I know, I built it myself, no one else. There was a branching olive tree inside our court, grown to its full prime, the bowl like a column, thick set, Around it I built my bedroom, finished off the walls with good tight stonework, roofed it over soundly, and added doors, hung well and snugly wedged. Then I lopped the leafy crown of the olive, clean-cutting the stump bare from roots up, planing it round with a bronze-smoothing adze. I had the skill. I shaped it plumb to the line to make my bedpost, bored the holes it needed with an auger. Working from there, I built my bed, start to finish. I gave it ivory inlays, gold and silver fittings, wove the straps across it, oxhide gleaming red. There's our secret sign, I tell you, our life story. Does the bed, my lady, still stand planted firm? I don't know. Or has someone chopped away that olive trunk and hauled our bedstead off? Living proof. Penelope felt her knees go slack. Her heart surrender, recognizing the strong, clear signs Odysseus offered. She dissolved in tears, rushed to Odysseus, flung her arms around his neck and kissed his head and cried out, Odysseus, don't flare up at me now, not you. Always the most understanding man alive. The gods, it was the gods who sent us sorrow. They grudged us both a life in each other's arms, from the heady zest of youth to the stoop of old age. Anybody can go on YouTube and, and get the, the notes, right? The summary and stuff like that. I think the beauty of the story is with contemporary um, education, whether whatever it is, it's like if, if we don't exhume the beauty of these poems and not necessarily try to critique them. I mean, who, who am I to critique, a, uh, you know, Homer's Odyssey? I mean, that's why I think when it's even funny, like when you go into Amazon reviews or whatever, when you're buying the book, it's, <laughs> it's like four and a half stars. <laughs> right? Who gave it a four and a half? Yeah. Like, who is that guy? Like, well, I don't think he got to the point. <laughs> A little long-winded at right. times. Yeah, it's way too long, way too long. 16,000 lines or whatever it is. At what age do they introduce 
the Iliad and the Odyssey to kids in school? What, I don't know. When does that come Well, in? that's where you wonder, right? Is, is the Odyssey is like, you could look at it and say how negative it is. Mm-hmm. You can look at it and say, oh, it's chauvinistic or it's, it shows patriarchy or it shows, but at the same time, you have to think, A, you got to consider the time. Mm-hmm. You got to consider when it was. And you also can see the dynamics between the, the woman and the man. It, there is an absolute beautiful pull and push that show that, A, the incredible strength of Odysseus, but his strength is not as good unless he has the woman's foundation. And knowing that Athena is, if it wasn't for her, he w- he would be gone, and that's why I think that it's important that these kind of stories show that it's like a team effort. I think it's like in order for there to be the promise fulfilled, you need to have that team effort. And the temptations, just like the suitors, were the temptations, just like the sirens, right? Mm-hmm. And so you see that both the husband and wife have those temptations, but they're overcome. Um, the temptation is overcome because of the loyalty. And it was, I mean, <clears throat> and that, that, that faith or whatever that, because neither knew, I believe at the time they're going through all of these um, tribulations, her with the suitors and he with the, the temptations and then the journey with, you know, people whacking him around. Didn't know if either was still alive or still in the game. You know, is that, that blind faith that they had that when they got there, the person they had thought of the whole time was still going to be there on both ends. Yeah. You know? And he'd been gone for 20 years. Yeah. Right? And then, uh, yeah. And I think that at the end, when he goes and destroys all the suitors, um, the, the interesting part of that at the end, he was just so furious. He got like, he put his war, um, his, he, had this love for for the the destruction of these suitors. Yeah. That the story ends that uh Athena had to stay his sword or stay his bow or whatever because she was like, okay, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, back to the feminine influence that he could have just been a raging bull. Right. And right. if and if and if that balance was not um, communicated, Homer knew that the man without the woman would, um, you know, just continue destruction or whatever relative to um, how that poem is finished. If Athena, daughter of storming Zeus, had not cried out in a piercing voice that stopped all fighters cold, hold back, you men of Ithaca, back from brutal war. Break off, shed no more blood, make peace at once. So Athena commanded. Terror blanched their faces. They went limp with fear. Weapons slipped from their hands and strewed the ground at the goddess's ringing voice. They spun in flight to the city, wild to save their lives. But loosing a savage cry, the long-enduring great Odysseus, gathering all his force, swooped like a soaring eagle. Just as the son of Cronus hurled a reeking bolt 
that fell at her feet, the mighty father's daughter, and blazing-eyed Athena wheeled on Odysseus, crying, Royal son of Laertes, Odysseus, master of exploits, hold back now, call a halt to the great leveller, war. Don't court the rage of Zeus, who rules the world. So she commanded. He obeyed her glad at heart. And Athena handed down her pacts of peace between both sides for all the years to come. The daughter of Zeus, whose shield is storm and thunder, yes. But the goddess still kept mentors, build, and voice. Like if we were to say, of the human experience, right? Of the human experience, it is a very common thread that goes all the way back to the essentially this first story this first book or mm -hmm. poem to today is we can learn um the human experience through the love of your father the love of your wife mm -hmm. the, the love of your friends and how that draw is a lot of the fuel to your will but you do have appreciation of sacrifice and that's where the suffering that Odysseus and Telemachus and Penelope go through for that core uh, value at the end is to say, we want to be reunited. And it wasn't necessarily the draw of his kingdom on Ithaca it that pulled him back. It was her son. Yeah. And his son. And then his son basically didn't even know his father. Right. But, that's where you wonder, like, what was Homer's um, reason to start the book on the son's search for him. And even when Telemachus went to the first island looking for his father, his father's name held so much respect mm -hmm. that it gave him some more fuel. A sense of pride, yeah. And a sense of pride to continue. And then his son essentially was the um, hope that the listeners, essentially he was the hero's journey. So if there's two journeys in there, it's not only Odysseus, but it was Telemachus yeah. to, um, to show the journey. And it, it was like, and as he grew up, you know, through that time period when, I mean, when the Odyssey starts, he, if you, just the math, he's probably like 11 years old. And then, you know, through those early teen years um, to maturity, he's helping his mom fend off all these people. And, you know, while trying to grow up and get confidence and I'm sure getting whacked around quite a bit in the meantime. Yeah, they were talking smack about him and that shows. They tried to kill him several yeah. times. And both of these are going on with neither of them knowing what was going, you know, they didn't know if Odysseus was still alive. You know, Odysseus didn't know what their fate was. Had she succumbed to the suitors? Did they kill his son? I mean, he had left there um, when he was one, apparently. And so had no idea through those 20 years what was going on. So that was super interesting also. Um, I wonder if how many people actually implicitly, when they read this, uh, impact, in, in other words, is it like a movie you go and you just kind of clip the wave tops at the top and say, Hey, that's a great story. Or do they actually implement it in their lives of like, Hey, I kind of see how that would work today. You know, 
that's where you wonder is like based upon like you said earlier is when the when they're teaching these things in parochial schools or colleges or whatever. Yeah, it, it's a good question. And I think one of the things that is interesting is, is how clever and um, Odysseus had to be and, and the gods in helping him get through not only the different islands, but once he got back, disguised himself all the way to where at the very end where Penelope, um, I think it was, she did that archery contest where yeah, he yeah, split yeah. the 12 axes or whatever. And he was, she knew he was the only one that could do it. And all these other guys were like, oh, I got this, you know? And, and, uh, you know, even that is an interesting thing, you know, it's, uh, you know, being, uh, deceitful or whatever you want uh, to your advantage. Um, but being clever, you know, uh, and there's, you know, many, many suitors versus just he and a handful of people that were left at that point. Um, how smart you had to beat out with him. It is interesting. I'm glad I delved just into it. I do remember reading it um, or, or learning about it growing up. Don't remember what age of, um, of education that comes in. That's an interesting thing I was thinking about. Um, you know, and then what was the, what are the themes that were going on back then that are still prevalent today? You know, temptation sure. certainly is huge sins, you know, and then on the other end of the loyalty and uh, the faith and the longing to get home and, you know, and to be with your family. Those are still, you know, things that occur today, but there's obviously the, um, you know, all the entrapments are a little bit different, you know. Um, but isn't the core the same? And that's why it's I exactly think, like, the same. Walk, Human nature's. Yeah. And you know, what's crazy a thousand is years. they actually said that Alexander the Great, which another book uh, you and I'll be talking about, they they said that he had a copy in his back pocket of oh. the Iliad and the Odyssey. Alexander the Great, and think how long ago that was. And so you wonder how many people have heard and you know fully respected the story. By, yeah, how many people were influenced by that? It's interesting. Yeah, it's also interesting to when we're talking about being passed down orally. When did they start writing that? Or yeah, so think, Alexander. Could, yeah, I heard, I heard somebody say that it was not, um, like two hundred years or so. Homer basically did the story that it happened two hundred years prior to him. So then, um, when it went from oral to written down. It, it's probably a couple generations, I would assume, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then obviously people had, to, the purpose of it writing down was challenging in itself because there was no printing press or there was no, you know, it was written down once or something, you know, and, and then when people copied it, it was painstakingly 16,000 line or whatever poem. And then how many times were the words tweaked around? Mm -hmm. But then, or, you know, like we were talking about originally, of the core meaning of this, what was the significance of what was distilled, what was left out, what was added, and why did the things that were added or taken out, why did that happen? Like, was it because it changed with generations? Was it the fact that, you know, maybe he never went to a certain island 700 years ago, but they added it in, you know, 500 years ago? Department of Tourism added it in just to make it seem more palatable to come to. That wraps up yet another discussion of Odysseus. 
We found Homer to speak of courage in the feminine, perseverance in the masculine, and loyalty of family ties pulling them together as one. How would you understand this story? I hope you'll read or listen to the poem. As a translation by Robert Fagels and the performance by Ian McClellan was really a great way to um, bring it to life for me. Thanks for listening.